0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell, and I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome today our guest, Anas Rashad, who is a Ph.D. economist, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Economics at the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University. She received her Ph.D. in economics from the City University of New York, And studies um, the rapid acceleration in the obesity rate in the United States and how a variety of of factors are affecting it. And in specific, she's done a very interesting and thorough recent study on the impact of fast food advertising. So thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So let's start with a general question: Why? How are economists engaged in looking at nutrition and obesity issues? What sort of things would they be interested in studying?
0: Well, economists are interested in this area because economics really plays a big role in our everyday lives. Um, In terms of the consumer, um, the consumer actually makes many decisions surrounding economics. So in terms in the obesity context and nutrition and physical activity, well, prices play a big role, food prices, fast food prices, um, Food at home prices uh, play a big role. Gas prices also play a role. Um, the prevalence of restaurants um, has implications in terms of the time costs associated with it. So, time is a price just as um, monetary prices are, are prices as well. So, the time cost associated with cooking a meal at home has become really high, for example, and the time cost associated with getting food from a fast food restaurant, if you're a working mother with a with a huge family, um, that that's gone down o- over time, and so that has huge implications in terms of obesity. So that's really from the demand side. Supply-side economists are also concerned about the costs of obesity, health care costs, um, in terms of whether or not uh, Medicare should um, fund obesity-related illnesses, um, whether or not premiums should be higher for um, people who have obesity, again, uh, people who are obese. Again, that's these are all um, questions that economists uh, are posing and seeing whether or not um, there's rationale for government intervention through market failure in this context.
1: So I'll come back to that concept of market failure later because I think it's a very important one. So economists have a lot of interesting things to say potentially about nutrition and obesity issues because something as as straightforward as food prices are highly influential in decisions that people make about their food choices. So In my mind, it's a good thing that economists are engaged in paying attention to these issues, and I think that's been a relatively recent development. And I'm very happy that you in particular are paying attention to this, and some very good research has come about as a consequence. So one thing uh, I've heard you say that I'd I'd like you to explain a little bit is you you make the case that I think most people would agree with that obesity has very serious health consequences and has um, um, economic consequences based on those. But you said even if obesity were only a cosmetic issue, it Mm -hmm. would still be of concern from an economic point of view. How would that be?
0: That's correct. So even though it's related to a lot of of diseases, um, even if it were purely cosmetic, if Employers, for example, are discriminating against obese workers in the workplace um, and are less likely to hire them. Um, well, that's that's a cosmetic issue, but it's a huge labor market issue. Um, so we believe in labor economics that people are paid the value of their marginal product of labor. If these productive workers aren't being hired, um, and and less productive workers who are thinner perhaps are being hired in in, in their place, well, that's going to have effects on productivity and probably subsequently economic growth and so we should be concerned even if it is just a cosmetic problem.
1: You know as an interesting aside we had a guest here Several weeks ago, uh, Mark Rowling, who's in Michigan, who is a, um, an expert on personnel and human relations issues. And he made the, the interesting case that what shows up is is this number that the average obese person costs the company $300 more a year in health care costs or something like that. And so he said the implication of that, that people would make employment decisions based on body weight, is completely counterproductive. Because if you shrink the pool of talented people you're drawing from, by virtue of making that weight decision given that so many people in the population uh, over overstep the uh, the weight boundaries these days that um, that you're actually hurting yourself. And then if you don't promote people or fire people or there are other things that are discriminatory that make your workplace a less desirable place to be, you're going to lose a lot more than $300 a year. A very interesting point.
0: That, that, that I think, is an excellent point. So first of all, the costs in the first place would be rationale for, you know, in, in, intervening to reduce public health care costs. But if you are starting to use those statistics to discriminate, that's statistical discrimination. And, and just as bad in this context as it is in, in any other context, if you have, you know, statistics on race or gender and you, and you use those statistics um, in determining who to employ, well, that's, um, that's pure st- statistical discrimination. And in this context, we might also have a lot of just overt discrimination, just outright, you know. Um, I don't want to hire this person because he or she is obese.
1: Let's talk about your work in particular on fast food advertising. Uh, Just to set the stage, this kind of work is very important to do. Um, There's a lot of controversy about advertising now and marketing in general with uh, the critics of it saying that it's having a disastrous public health impact. Um, Its uh, advocates or its defenders say that advertising really isn't having the impact that, uh, that some say and that it doesn't encourage use of a class of foods like fast foods or soft drinks but just pushes around brand choice and that we really shouldn't be doing anything about it. It's hard to do something about it because you have the First Amendment protecting commercial speech and you have a variety of of, uh, case law decisions that have been made in the courts over the years that make it hard to do anything about advertising. So it seems to me, in, in this muddle of mixed opinions and 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 really polarized ideas about what marketing does to people, there's the need for good research so that we really know what it does, and that's why I think the study that you've um, or you're about to publish is really very important. So, can you talk about why you believe that studying marketing and its impact on children is an important issue in general?
0: Well, well, it's it's very important because again, economists like to believe that um, advertisements um, or advertising in general is a benign provision of information. We know through a lot of literature and psychology and marketing that that's not necessarily the case. And if um, if advertising not, perhaps there might not be evidence in in many cases that it's misinforming consumers directly. But if it's misleading them, then that might be some um, rationale for. Um, for control, Controlling it, and so uh, in this in this context, um, I think it's very important because childhood obesity is a huge problem. Um obese children are more likely to grow into obese adults. Um, and, and so we, we know all the consequences associated uh, with that in terms of the labor market and also healthcare costs and quality of life and, and so on. And so um, we should especially be concerned um, in, in the context of children. And
1: so let's talk about your study in particular. Um, b- before we get into its details, can you tell people how they might get a copy of it?
0: Well, it's forthcoming in the Journal of Law and Economics. It should be in the November 2008 issue, and it's called Fast Food Restaurant Advertising on Television and Its Influence on Childhood Obesity. Um,
1: right.
0: There's also a copy, an, an NBR working paper, um, which um, people can look up if, if that's not available.
1: Okay, and that's the National Bureau of Economic Research? That's correct, Okay. Yes. I'm delighted that I remembered what NBR yes. stands for. Okay, um, now studying uh, the relationship of advertising on children's diets turns out a, to be a pretty challenging, complicated thing to do. So what are what are some of the, um, I mean, what? Wh- how did you choose to study it and what sort of issues did you confront in trying to really pin down that relationship?
0: Okay, well our aim was to actually establish a causal relationship between fast food restaurant advertising. and. Um, overweight status as the outcome holding um, a host of variables constant including information on the mother and also including television watching per se. Um, so we use the National Longitudinal Survey of Youth. Um, we use the, 19 se- the children of the 1979 cohort um, for children ages 3 to 11, and we use the 1997 cohort for adolescents um, ages 12 through 18. And, and we actually do find um, significant effects of exposure to fast food restaurant advertising. And these are fast food restaurants that um, we, we picked, about 41 corporations that were characteristic of, of fast food. And we, we find that um, an extra half hour Being exposed to an extra half hour of television, uh, of advertising on television, would potentially increase um, obesity rates by about 15% for both children and adolescents, males and females.
1: Let's come back to the significance of that finding first, but I'd just like to say that. You, you were modest in describing the study because in, in just a few seconds you ran through some of the data sets you used. But having seen more detail about it, uh, it, it really quite amazing to me how many variables you were able to control for, how many data sets you essentially had to triangulate to get, get to the point where you could make these draw these conclusions from these kind of data. So congratulations okay. for doing an impressive study. I mean that's really and it's quite a striking finding that you have that an extra half hour of advertising of fast food, which people wouldn't think would be such a big deal, could increase obesity in children by as much as fifteen percent. That's very significant from a public health point of view.
0: It is, and I think one that we hope people will will pay attention to. Um, it is an extra half. It's an extra half hour per week, so it's quite mm-hmm. um, quite a large. Um, in itself, it's quite a large increase. Um, right. And those are the implications.
1: But that would amount to a few minutes a day.
0: That's correct. Added yeah. up.
1: And so people may think, yeah. what's the big deal? I mean, if they see an extra, you know, five minutes a day of this, then what's what's the big deal? But it is a big deal from your results.
0: From our results, it, it it is a big deal. Um,
1: now, let me ask you this. Let me um, uh, produce a little bit of a scientific challenge. You said that you set out to establish whether or not there was a causal relationship between the fast food advertising and the increased likelihood of obesity. So from a scientific point of view, causal is like the the most extreme word. It's the hardest thing to prove. It requires the highest level of scientific evidence to say that you really have nailed down cause and effect. Um, Explain why why you're confident that you've been able to address that issue and why you believe your results do prove this cause and effect relationship.
0: Okay. Well, we do try to control for as many factors as possible, um, as many observed factors as possible. Moreover, to try to account for um, either reverse causality or unobserved factors, we do run instrumental variables models where we're predicting um, exposure to fast food advertising um, and I- independently of... That effect on on BMI or overweight status, and in order to do that, we use the price of an advertisement and the percentage of households in a designated market area with a television as predictors. Um, and we actually find um, we, we run tests, and we actually find that our ordinary least squares results are consistent, and so um, our the instruments we use are valid, and um, and 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 so. When they're valid, um, that indicates that there is a causal um, that there that there is a causal effect, and we have established causality. Um, I know at least one study has previously shown that um, reverse causality may not be such an issue. That um, um, and I think it was so one by Stephen Cor- Gortmaker that actually showed that in nineteen. 19- Um, overweight kids in 1986 weren't more likely to watch um, television in 1990, suggesting that um, overweight kids aren't necessarily more likely to watch television. So that's in terms of television watching. Um, Right, so
1: by reverse causality, you're referring to the fact that it, it may not be the case that the the uh, fast food advertising or advertising in general is driving the obesity, but once people get to be obese, they may become more sedentary, watch more television, et cetera. And That's correct. And yes, you were able yeah. to address that. And the reason I asked you about the causation issue here was because whenever you have two things that are correlated with one another, you have fast food advertising correlated with a likelihood of obesity. Then of course people people's minds start rushing to explain that by something other than the variables that are involved. So could it be that the poor, poor people, um, the, the kids don't have a safe neighborhood to go out and play in and therefore they're stuck in the house, they see more advertising, they're eating more, more fast food and they become obese, not because of the advertising but because of these other variables. And that's the thing that was so impressive about your study, about the number of such factors that you were able to control for. And, and I think, you know, in my reading of this literature on advertising and likelihood of obesity, you've probably done the most thorough job at controlling for the most variables.
0: Yes, thank you. And we do also uh, include designated market area fixed effects to account for any kind of correlation across designated market area, which I think addresses, for example, poverty um, and, and all sorts of other uh, factors that are... Uh, Common in one designated marketer. Okay,
1: so <clears throat> let's talk about the implications, if we could. Um, okay. I mean, you found that an extra half hour of fast food advertising could increase the likelihood of obesity by fifteen percent. That's significant. And then I don't think anybody would dispute that. So the question is: Does this provide a rationale for changing things? Does this provide a rationale for taxing m- advertisements for? Reducing the um, the the uh, uh, fact that they don't have that the advertisers don't have to pay tax on some of these things uh, would it argue for a ban and things like that? And I'm not asking you specifically for a, you know we should take on policy A, B, or C, <laughs> but I would like to ask you how economists think about this. And I know economists um, believe that. The market should be left alone, and you shouldn't get around and get in and mess around with it. And I'm, you know, Mm. using non-economic terms (laughs) to describe this. So forgive me. Um, Unless there's a market failure, unless Mm. something isn't working the way we believe it should, Um, how do economists uh, address that issue of market failure? How do they think about when it's occurring? And Could we ever get to the point where economists would look at the kind of data you have and say, yep, there's a market failure occurring there. We do need to change economic policy in some way.
0: Well, in this context, and there tends to be much more support by economists for um, for government intervention or, or some type of intervention where children are involved. Um, children aren't necessarily rational decision makers. Um, in this case, um, in this case there is uh, some rationale for that. Now, in terms of, of market failure in general, and I can, you know, um, Point out uh, a few types and, and say why they're relevant in this context. So, um, in this context, well, asymmetric information is one source of market failure.
1: And what does that mean?
0: Basically, um, if so, perfect information implies that both consumers and producers are fully informed about everything. Um, if consumers aren't fully informed, aren't receiving uh, full information about a product, then um, then that then that's um, that provides rationale for the government providing them with more information, or or somehow, or somehow um, convincing, or regulating industry to provide that information, s- such as through nutrition labels or or caloric information on, and and menu provision and and so on. May I ask you um, a question about
1: that quickly? It's sort of an aside, yeah. but. One of the, the issues that the people who study marketing are paying attention to these days is whether people even realize they're being marketed to. Mm-hmm. And so there are product placements in movies, their are product placements in video games, children are going to websites where the food stuff is all over the place. And the question is, if people are being marketed to but they don't realize they're being marketed to, is that an example of asymmetric information?
0: it could be um again behavioral economics is a very new field that actually looks at uh, different parts of the brain responding um and people not necessarily being rational decision makers and um and 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 if if my subconscious is being affected through uh, being exposed to advertising then um then that then that could potentially be a source of imperfect information. Okay, Again, it c- so it's not yeah, asymmetric
1: so it's insur- ins- by, by it's not by definition that. But if it has a certain effect on the consumer, that's correct. Then you would consider it that.
0: Yes, because the, because because if it's affecting my subconscious then my con my conscious mind is not informed. Right. Um, so if you're less so likely
1: to behave in a rational way because correct, you don't yes. realize that that this particular message you're getting constitutes advertising, then it might. Fall into that category. Okay, <coughs> so but, that,
0: but yeah, and that's uh, that's really we view that as separate from irrational behavior, which is um, again harder to define because economists like to believe that everyone behaves rationally, but which is another field that's being looked into.
1: Okay, so you were talking about the some of the things that economists would consider in making a determination about whether something's a market failure, mm-hmm. and I know in that that context, the term externalities. Comes up. Could you describe what that means and sure. explain how it might apply here or might not?
0: Okay, Of course. Um, an externality is um, basically something like a spillover effect, um, um, either a, a cost or a benefit that affects somebody else that's not taken into account in the market price. Um, so, if, if by, for in this context, if by my being obese somebody else is being either positively or negatively affected, um, then that would constitute, um, say, a negative or a positive externality. Now, in terms of public health care costs, if half of costs, um, say, through Medicaid and Medicare of obesity-related illnesses are public costs being paid by taxpayer dollars, well, that might be some rationale um, for intervention. Some some, so hard some, hard some classical economists might argue, well, then no health care costs should be public. Um, but that that just that delves into a different area where... Um, Healthcare perhaps shouldn't be should be viewed as different from other commodities, and that's perhaps something that you know. yeah. So, you know, I'm just becoming familiar
1: myself with this concept of externalities. It's very yes. interesting, and it sounds yeah. like there are two pieces to it. One is whether there's some spillover that, mm-hmm. that occurs, so other people are affected, and then the second is that that the spillover is not reflected in the cost of whatever it is you're purchasing. So. That's to take cigarette smoking. Okay. People smoke uh, in public places. Other people experience a secondhand smoke. They might get sick, seriously sick even, mm-hmm. from that. And so that would be a clear externality.
0: That's a very clear, it's much clearer in the cigarette context. Right. Than now, if, if
1: a person, I- if the, the price of the cigarettes that they bought mm-hmm. reflected that cost, so say you could calculate what your damage is to other people, and that would triple the cost of a pack of cigarettes, and you paid it, and then that money went to pay for the care of the people that got the secondhand smoke-related diseases. Yeah. Would that mean it's no longer an externality?
0: In some, if if, if the tax has, has completely internalized the externality, then that's correct, yeah. Then the social costs have been accounted for. Okay. So.
1: Well, thank you for explaining that. So let's yes. let's then loop back to the marketing. And let me ask you um, sort of an ending question here with um, with food marketing to children. Uh, it sounds like one could make a pretty strong case that they that the children are being affected. They're not rational decision makers because of their stage of development in life and things like that, you could easily make a case about externalities because the the damage to their own health and then to the family's well-being and to society and the employers and all that sort of thing are mm-hmm. are quite considerable. Then do you think that there is an argument to be made that the market is not behaving perfectly in the case of food marketing? and that there is an economic argument for doing something about it. Uh,
0: I, I do believe that's the case. I think that a market failure is apparent in this context. Um, I think there, so so there isn't perfect information, I think. Um, children aren't rational decision makers. Um, uh, there are negative externalities. And at the same time, the uh, industry um, can possibly be characterized by some degree of market power and any type of monopoly in in microeconomics is, is considered a source of market failure.
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much. I I appreciate you joining us today, and congratulations again for doing what I believe is a very thorough and comprehensive and sophisticated study on this important issue. So thanks for joining us and sharing that with us.
0: Okay. Thank you for inviting.
1: So our guest today was Anas Rashad, assistant professor in the Department of Economics at the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University. Um, As I say at the end of all these podcasts, please come to our website at www.yalerudcenter.org, and you'll find a variety of resources there, including a free monthly email newsletter, um, access to a lot of information on food policy, nutrition, and obesity, a blog to take part in if you're inclined to do that, and perhaps best of all, a list of the various podcasts that we've recorded over the past several years. Thank you very much.